All right. Well, good afternoon, everyone. I'm sitting here with uh, Jason Schweitzer. Your your YouTube channel, Jason, is uh, Almond Tree, correct? Yep. Okay. And and I've had a chance to see some of your videos, but not. I would just say a handful. Like, how would you describe like kind of what well, Almond Tree is about, and kind of what your what your project is all about here? Oh gosh, it's kind of a mess. I don't know. That's a man. That's a hard question to answer. I don't even know that I have a project necessarily i'm not because people have asked me that like what is it you're doing is um what is it you're interested in um i'm not really sure i just like to get other people's stories and i guess i just like i like to observe and watch and see and um and uh i think it's the field my channel feels kind of like uh just like kind of a hodgepodge of just random conversations where sometimes them will just be really spontaneous just for the moment hey, is anyone free? Let's just chat and record it, see what happens. And then other times it's more planned where I'll try to schedule it and have someone on. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Just trying to, I guess, look from all sides. Everybody, uh, I really like being able to, the more people I can pull into conversations, the more I like it because it seems like everybody's able to see something different. And um, there's a verse in Song, or a, not a verse, but a portion of scripture in Song of Solomon um, that just kind of always, it's for years it's kind of reminded me of that of each person kind of being their own it says a garden enclosed is my sister my spouse a spring shut up a fountain sealed and it goes into all this garden imagery and like each person i feel like it's kind of that way they're just like mm -hmm. this garden shut up with uh, so many treasures inside of them um so everybody's got their own gifts to bring um yeah but i don't really know what i'm doing in the the uh purpose of it um Hopefully, I guess just through all the conversations, somebody will get blessed out of it and someone will see some truth and some light. And I mean, I myself have been it's crazy amounts just discovering new things all the time from what people have to say and different ways of looking at things. So I'm hoping other people can find the same thing. Cool. Cool. And, I guess, and yeah. And like, what, what would you like as far as just maybe a, fill in a little bit of detail for me? Because I'm, you know, you and I are just kind of getting to know each other um like a little bit of like what what your background is i mean i'm assuming you're coming at things obviously from a christian perspective but um yeah you know i beyond that and that you live out in the east coast and you got some cool thoughts in your head i don't know much <laughs> about you so not that cool um yeah i um grew up in the church so basically yeah, i was uh, i was born in florida lived there till i was probably eight then we moved up to Ten east tennessee that's where i'm at now um just north of Chattanooga so um okay and then I basically you know I guess kind of the usual thing I grew up um in church um what kind parents, of church um it was non-denominational but it was word of faith ministries you know like okay. uh really you know Rama Bible College it was very very much based off that Raymond college. Blackwell College okay I, um, I'm not super familiar but it's out in Oklahoma um Kenneth Hagan Sr. okay okay there. gotcha okay yeah. gotcha and so his I mean, in his teachings, like Kenneth Hagin Sr., I, I mean, I, I, from what I've listened to and stuff, I, I enjoy quite a bit of it. And he's a great storyteller. But, um, you know, that like everything, that you can go in a ditch one way or the other. So there's lots of, you know, the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, I think, came out of that whole section yeah. a lot, too. So there's a lot of bad stuff. But there's a, there is a lot of good, too, that I think um, gets overlooked because of the bad. But um, so anyways... Having said, uh, grew up in that, then probably, you know, sometime 
early college, you know, I got resentful at the church. I was like, oh, a bunch of hypocrites, you know, I guess the usual thing where you're like, mm-hmm. I'm more, you know, they're not loving enough sort of thing. You know, it's just, just stupidity looking back on it now, like a excuse to be resentful or something. Um, and so I just st- stopped going to church, started partying, I guess. And then um, uh, did that for a while. Now really, I mean, all that being said, like that doesn't even strike me as bad. It was just kind of the slow path of like resentment. I kept getting mm-hmm. further into then eventually um but i think when i was 21 no i think when i was yeah when i was 21 i bought my house because it was right in the foreclosure market so i had like enough money saved up and bought it and then i had lived out in the country by myself with like two dogs for like 10 years and then so i didn't really have any friends anybody they slowly like chipped away you know and then it was just me and then just i always loved i think I enjoyed people like one-on-one, but as humanity as a whole, I just, I still don't like crowds, but I just kept getting more and more resentful and bitter than um, uh, the worst part. Um, the worst part, I think the darkest part of my life is always described as when I was like, it just gotten total hatred for my neighbor because he ended up, he would steal stuff from me all the time. And I didn't really yeah. care that much. I mean, I cared, but it was like, well, it's just me. Then he stole a tool from my dad. It was like a, um, a saw. And then uh, I went to, I mean, it was, he didn't really steal it. Like I thought it was his tool. So I gave it like when returned it to him and then realized it was my dad's went and asked for it back. And then he just denied it. And so then I, for some reason, you know, twisted that and kind of gave myself an excuse to hate the man um, because mm-hmm. I was like, you can steal from me. That's one thing. But when it's my dad, you know, then a uh, burden mm-hmm. hell type thing. So I remember thinking, um, I want him to die only if I'm 100% certain he's going to hell. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I just remember it. And you know, all your Christian background is there. And I just remember thinking, I know I have to forgive him. Um, but it's like, I, you know, you don't even know how at that point, because there's just so much hatred. But I just remember physically making me want to vomit, I would see him and just like, want to just puke. Um, so that mm-hmm. was the worst part. And then I just basically just told would have to tell myself I forgive him when I didn't even think I did and now Mm -hmm. I don't know if I could love a person more which is the strangest thing it's like Mm -hmm. I haven't even he ended up moving away like I haven't talked to him now but it's like I I would easily die for the man at this point um Mm -hmm. it's weird how like that forgiveness will do that even in your own self um so that that was the darkest part but then what kind of I think brought me back towards Christianity was all the really selfish reasons because I had a, I guess it was nerve damage in my face. I like, I'm more inclined. I would like the mystical route better. And I just say it was a demon. Um, mm-hmm. But for like nine years, I had this pain, recurring pain that would come um, and nobody could ever diagnose it and no painkillers would dull it. I mean, I would take, uh, well, I could half the time I couldn't get pain pills because people thought I was just making it up to get stuff. But I remember one time I took, I think it was like eight IB, eight 400 milligram ibuprofen and like, I don't know, like 10 BC powders, like all in one, just because I didn't have anything else. And it, it just tore my stomach up. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So that pain, I think nine years of that got to the point where I just basically said, uh, I, I think I even told my mom that I just said, I'm going to kill myself because I don't, 
I can't live with it. Like I'm not, there's no way I'm going to make, make it through a lifetime of this. And so um, then she gave me a book. It was actually by Kenneth Hagen on healing. And I just started reading through that. And there had, it's mostly teachings, but every teaching had some scripture in it. And so um, read through that. And then um, I guess you could say God healed me through that. Um, There's a lot of things that went into, I mean, I know it wasn't just reading this book, you know, or just, just like Mm -hmm. believe enough or anything like that. It was a lot of things and uh, co-working with repentance and turning back to God in true humility. Um, Mm. There's just a lot of details, I guess, in it that happened. Because as soon as I started believing for the healing too, the pain, um, you know, was worse than ever. And then, then it wouldn't let up either too, which is, you know, weird. Because it's like, it would come and go. It would usually last for a few hours. But then, I mean, it was just like almost relentless after that. And it lasted longer um, period-wise. Because it would usually come for a month and then go away for a few months, come back. So that's why people thought it was seasonal, but it wasn't anything allergies related but anyway i'm rambling i feel like i'm rambling on and on but uh it's okay okay and then so then yeah it lasted for longer i think it lasted like two months and then it just absolutely broke me but it got to the point where it was like um um i remember it was one day i just it did not stop at all this intense pain all day long and then i just remember coming to that point of like god you're not even there like the whole my god my god why have you forsaken me type thing mm-hmm. and then uh i went out and um i was reading that book and i just opened it and it was the, some verse in isaiah um gosh can i remember it now they shall mount up with angels wings they shall run not get weary they shall walk up. and for some reason it was just like there you are god and then it was just i remember thinking even if i'm gonna have this pain every second of every day if i can just get these moments i can and keep going uh if you're actually going to be there like and then you know you when you can feel something shift but you're not sure what it is like nothing actually changes in the physical or anything like the pain didn't go away um but you it was definitely like a turning point maybe it was psychological i don't know um then um basically i remember thinking that uh when i by the time i finished the book i wouldn't have any any more pain and after I finished the book um it went away and it it basically has been gone ever since I think it came back shortly after my dog died for some reason and then just mm-hmm. like it's it just things happen in such strange ways because it came back and it was literally almost it felt like just like a test or something it was just because it only was there for like maybe a few days mm-hmm. and then I was just uh it was just really strange experience but basically been gone so that and i had warts all over my body i guess you could say that's some form of leprosy i don't know so basically i kind of came back to god for selfish reasons for like they get healed and then uh which you know he uh he's merciful and he did that but um but like i said it broke me to the point where that wasn't what it was about anymore it was like Mm -hmm. even if i don't get it even if i'm gonna be in pain forever i'm still gonna keep pursuing you um Mm -hmm. so i don't but i don't want to say like anybody has to get to that point necessarily like god will heal people on a dime if he wants to so Mm -hmm. i don't know so that's kind of my story back in the christianity and that was maybe maybe five years ago and my dog passed away 2019 and then uh 
those are just kind of big moments in my life and then um so i've just kind of been pursuing god since then reading the scriptures as much as i can and stuff like mm -hmm. that so i don't know that's interesting I guess I, um, yeah i mean i i i have uh i i would say probably like in in terms of like my experience because hagen kind of he strikes me as part kind of broadly speaking and within charismatic christianity right oh yeah um, and so and, and i've always been somewhat adjacent to that for most of most of my life where you know i've had family members that are kind of more traditional like bible believing baptists type deal and but then in the same family you know like assemblies of god type um charismatics and from the four square movement and and those kinds of things and so there's always been that's always been kind of in the background of of my experience where i've kind of had in a sense of foot in in both worlds at some in some way um and uh you know i mean i i i think that the um you know the the idea that god heals or god speaks or um you know that that he's direct and active in in the life of his people and in the life of this world like i have no problem with that you know what i mean yeah. like it's just i think for me what's interesting is it's just um because of my my own faith journey has taken me more you know from like conservative evangelical through like reformed calvinism is there's just certain elements within um within like the charismatic aspects of christianity that they they just seem foreign to me it's not like they seem wrong i mean the the health and wealth and prosperity stuff i i think is i don't take that very seriously um but there are you know like there are like there are some things that within charismatic uh theologies and experiences that i'm like oh yeah like for real like they're they're not they're they're onto something you know and i i think that where i found it I think I've, I've gravitated more toward like the mysticism of, of Eastern Christianity, even though I'm not okay. Orthodox and I never will be. Um, I, you know, I've worshiped within an Anglican, you know, within the Episcopal church here, okay. you know, kind of progressive Christianity. But, you know, I think that the, um, the vitality of the experience of God, it, it definitely can take a lot of different um, shapes and, and forms, you know, within, you know different faith communities and different traditions i think that's a, it's important mm -hmm. and so like when you know yeah it'll be interesting when you're at like uh charismatic prayer meetings and those kinds of things you know where people are laying hands on each other and healing each other or uh delivering a word of knowledge oh, or yeah. wisdom or something like that and sometimes you're like man like i'm gonna be honest with you like that's pretty right on like i don't know how you would oh, know yeah. this information and you know under what you know but it's like it, there's definitely i think that the spirit is active in that even if yeah. it's not necessarily not necessarily like you know a, a context i would be inclined to join like a charismatic church you know what i mean it's like oh yeah, yeah but they're onto something and i, I love hanging out yeah. with them and, and you know it's yeah it's they're cool... fun yeah it's it's a uh, it's definitely i think uh chris i can never say his last name it starts with a p you've probably seen someone i don't know he said one time like talking about charismatic circles he called it kind of a circus and i was like yeah you kind of get like that but the funny thing too is a lot of people that are in them kind of realize that too it can go mm -hmm. it's it's hard to describe because just 
extremely chaotic sometimes and like you get into these big especially really really big um big worship like rock concert kind of shows and stuff it's like uh that stuff's very real and I think people are genuine and they're whether the people on stage are not is kind of beside the point I think people are really there to worship God and direct the energy upwards um but then with all the energy in the room it's like people um just you feel stirred up I guess so people will just say think they have words from God maybe they do maybe they don't and then being encouraged also like well you got to step out and try um so I think it's just gosh if people are more aware of these things and kind of I don't I don't want to say take things lightly because then that's just dumb because you could get a very serious word straight from God through someone else's mouth like that does mm -hmm. happen um mm -hmm. and people do get healed um but then you know there are people that get healed in those services and then they go home and their sickness comes back too um so like I mean it's just kind of weird because you could you could probably explain a lot of these things away psychologically or like even uh, talking about like um Mm -hmm. like the placebo effect things like that um but then i don't know that it makes it any less credible to me i'm like what why does that matter like if it if god is a conscious being like and that works through your psychological aspect your consciousness like i don't know mm -hmm. why that necessarily has to be downgraded or anything um mm -hmm. but yeah it's it's um it's interesting but it's uh yeah it can get it can get uh it can definitely go over the edge in a lot of areas and I don't subscribe to the health wealth and prosperity thing either and I think sometimes it's gotten me arguments in the past like because where church I've been at because I just I really the the wealth thing bothers me a lot the health thing's a little harder to deal with because it's like like it, when people are so hard line on it um basically I think the church I'm in now and churches I've always been in the past would say God never makes you sick or never afflicts you or anything like that. And I'm like, I don't necessarily agree with that because of my own personal experience. Like I had, mm -hmm. I'm like, I had pain for 10 years and it was, what's it say in the Psalms? It was good for me that I was afflicted. Like it was, it was good for me. Otherwise I wouldn't be where I'm at now. Uh, I'd still be, um, so I, I don't know. There's certain things I don't agree with, but the wealth thing always, I think gets me the most. Cause I'm like, you know, you can't take anything with you. So like, why do you, why do you need to? Yeah have all this stuff but in the majority of it though i think a lot of the bad stuff is maybe over publicized too because if you talk to people like you know you're just individual people in the churches most of them are just they're just uh you know normal people mm -hmm. try to love god the best they know how but even uh sorry all that being said to another thought that went through my head is like i think even when pursuing healing or anything uh, I don't think you should ever, this may be just personal belief, but I don't think you should ever pursue God apart from humility. And I think that's where a lot of stuff gets twisted up um, mm -hmm. yeah. in that. in that, Because I've seen a lot of people get really, really hurt by mm -hmm. even even the healing thing of being like, I mean, I've seen, you know, I've seen people pass away with cancer that were standing for their healing. And then mm -hmm. uh, everybody's just standing there wondering like, what the hell, God? <laughs> like, yeah. what? Uh, why? Or... Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so it's a, yeah, it can I cause a it, lot of hurt and confusion. Yeah, I think it's I, I've I've been I've tangled with a few people, charismatics and locked horns pretty intensely on some of those <laughs> questions. Um, 
Me too. Because, <laughs> because I, I mean, I, I deal with some chronic illness issues, right? Deal with them. the bipolar disorder doesn't like that doesn't go away. And, um, and some lady, I remember in some prayer meeting it was in really pressed the issue on me and says, God can heal you of that, you know? And I'm like, I'm sure he can. I'm sure he can, but I'm not asking to be healed of this disease. Like it's, it's a, it, it teaches me more. I get more out of it. I mean, it's, it's a pain to endure. All I was asking was just, you know, Hey, can you guys be praying for me as I'm dealing with some of the things I deal with, with bipolar disorder and it turned into this just because she, <laughs> she started saying something along the lines of like, uh, was talking against medications. Right. And that those are, you know, she was using like just some really spurious reasoning that this is pharmacia is tied to witchcraft type stuff. Right. And yeah, because it's a verse in Revelation or something. Oh, jeez. Like and I just was like that. Like, I'm like, I'm sorry. I, I understand what you're saying. And this is absurd. And here's like the 37,000 reasons why this is absurd, right? Kind of thing. And I just, I, I left with a sense of, you know, what I appreciate and very much do believe that God can and does heal people and i've seen it happen right yeah is like we're mortal right our bodies are subject to all of the conditions of our mortality and what overcomes that is the resurrection right mm -hmm. like we're we don't we don't live we don't live fully within the resurrection or i think we can but it doesn't mean that we don't die. We don't pass through mortality yeah. just like our, just like the Lord did. And that there is um, a, a space for suffering in the spiritual life. It, it doesn't say that the suffering itself is good, right? <laughs> I don't think any suffering is good suffering, but the suffering can open us up to things that we could not have grown through or come to a deeper understanding of without the suffering. Yeah, there's like a connection between suffering and glory or something like that. Or, right. Uh, and yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, and so I, you know, I've had some intense tangles there. And it's just, <laughs> you know, the realization is like, well, I'm probably not going to, you know, move an entire tradition in a direction that's more agreeable to me. Yeah. Um, but, well, you know, Sorry, you know, man. it's like, and so I, you know, I think I, um, you know, that's where I kind of have always been kind of more comfortable being adjacent to those communities than within them directly like it would probably if i was going in a, on a weekend week out basis like i would i would really have a hard time with it but i sure love yeah. to meet with them like you know once every couple of months sit down and pray together and worship together and those yes. kinds of things like yeah, you know, that's that's what i that's that's the dosage i can handle <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's probably the certain ones too like there's still be somewhere there's set. But every, that's what I mean. Everybody's like that. People can just get so dogmatic in certain ideas, so headstrong that you can't. Uh, it's like talking to a wall. It really is. Yeah. But uh, yeah. But yeah. That being said, it's, I've gotten in tangles too, and it's uh, almost about the exact opposite issue too. Because I'm the. I wouldn't say like I would never say that God doesn't use medication or doesn't work through medication. But I'm just the type of person that doesn't want to take it. Like I'm like if I, even if you tell me. I should take it. I'm just like, no, I'll take my chances. Like, I'll just, no, nope, oh, whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And that's gotten me. And it's weird because even in the charismatic circles where like the belief for healing 100%, it's like there's, uh, yeah, I've had pushback against that as well too, where people are like, no, you need to, you need to get this taken care of, or you need to take this. And I'm just like, no, I, 
Oh, it just leave me alone. But I think maybe some of that is, um, I don't know why I'm that way. I've, I've never, maybe it just, I've, ever since I've been a kid, I never liked medicine, but no kid likes medicine. But then I think maybe some of it is to having an, uh, a pain that I'm dealing with that no medication would help no doctors could help it was just like uh to where i'm just like oh whatever like the medication that i mean it was just pain pills but you know it never actually helped me at all um and i think some of the reason too maybe why i'm a little bit that way is i don't want i don't mind a crutch like i don't mind having a crutch for humility because ultimately like christ is kind of a crutch too like you lean on him all the time you lean on god but if something gets me into bondage, like, you know, I could, I can easily get wrapped up in things. And maybe that's just my personality too, where, um, even with like drinking or smoking or something, I think if I were to, I'm probably more of the type of person that would start doing it casually. And then before I know it, it's like, I just like, I, I get wrapped up in nothing. Um, mm-hmm. so I think if I even became, I don't, I mean, I don't know why I, I can't really, psychoanalyzing myself here I'm not really sure but I have been the other way where it's been like uh kind of a pushback on um certain issues but it's Mm -hmm. yeah I've locked I know exactly what you mean I've locked and locked horns as well with a lot of them um and it gets really it gets really weird uh because there's even with fasting that's one thing I'd like to do and I remember that was just a big thing when I first started fasting because it was just like it was just it's just like legalism or something within a lot of those circles. And so mm-hmm. it was just, yeah. And then uh, you bring up suffering and um, that's like a foreign word um, in a lot of the circles I've been in. Um, but um, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with all that, except other than to say, I guess I do want to emphasize there is just a lot of good and uh, that, that's hidden in there that I think gets overlooked yeah. as well. Um, yeah. Well, I think that, like, I think, I think at some level, you know, it's like, you know, I don't want to paint with, with broad brushes. I just, I know that, um, you know, at some level, I think that the, uh, you know, and and I've dealt with a a lot of those things. I've dealt with addictions and I've dealt with like some pretty serious chronic pain and injuries and and that kind of stuff. I, yeah, I just, part of you know, treating my body like a bulldozer for, for most of my youth, you know, yeah. it was, uh, it, you know, always very active and it was a wrestled high school and some in college. And, and there's just, there's old lingering injuries. That oh yeah. Just as you get older, uh, don't seem to get better. You, you realize like your body is in the aging process. Um, but I, I think at a deeper level, right. Um, like the, the spiritual life requires um, resistance in order to produce growth in the same way that the physical world does, right? There's certain, yeah. there's a certain space for that, that it's, um, that all of it can be wrapped into that redemptive arc for, for you and how you respond to it. And th- there are some truly, you know, that, with that, there is some kinds of suffering that we hit in, in this life that is just kind of like, just like Job would see, it's just truly baffling. There doesn't mm-hmm. seem to be a good reason for it. Yeah. Um, 
but there's a lot of the suffering or I would say the inconveniences of, you know, having bodies that break down and minds that aren't always sharp and, you know, all that kind of stuff is there that that's the context in which our spiritual life is developing. Right. And, and uh-huh. that there is, um, you know, even Paul, like in, in second Corinthians, you know, speaking about that place of weakness is, you know, that, that the weakness is the strength and that's, you know, in second Corinthians 12, but it's really the culmination of so much of what he's talking about in that letter, right. Is that this is the context in which like that indestructible life is growing and developing and showing itself forth. Um, yeah. So I, I guess I'm a little more, you know, uncomfortably comfortable with the fact that I have certain limitations. I have certain hurts that are part of what I carry with me, you know, but like I, but I, um, I get to carry those with Christ. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, yeah, you know, I, you know, I'm now in my mid forties and you just, you don't live that long without accumulating some regrets and some aches and some pains and, and some things that, oh, yeah. you know, it's a very different outlook than I had in my twenties where the whole world seems in front of you in a way that, um, and it seems a little bit simpler and a little bit more cut and dry, but it's yeah. just like, you know, 20 years of adulthood or 20 plus years of adulthood, you realize like, Oh, wow. There's, it's a lot more complicated than this. Mm-hmm. Um, but grace still meets me here and in, and in unique ways that, um, that what I would have been blind to when I was younger. Um, just because you yeah. know, how, because you, um, you know, operate under the assumption that things are going to at some point get easier. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you get to a point where you're like, oh no, this is just life, man. This is, yeah. this is going to be wire to wire struggle all the way through. Um, but that doesn't diminish the goodness that is always there and present to us in the middle of whatever we battle through. Can I ask you some questions on that? What is a bipolar having that? What is that like exactly? Is that like extreme highs and extreme lows? That's how I've heard it described. Right. It's a mood disorder. Um, So um, basically, yeah, it is, it is a, an experience from, from high to low. So you can go into very low depressive states and that's typically actually my default. And default is usually about, and my, my cycles are typically seasonal. So I spend about, I don't know, six to eight months out of the year in, in like a mild low level depression. So it's like so <laughs> low level that I don't, it's just my, the way I kind of operate. Um, man. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but sometimes the, the floor can drop out of that. They can go into pretty deep, scary uh-huh. depressions. Um, uh-huh. I, you know, um, thankfully, like I, I haven't, haven't gone through a lot of those in the last couple of years, but they can come, they can creep up on me and then it just will feel like the floor falls beneath, you know, and it's, it's really hard to, uh, when you're depressed, um, my thoughts will slow down. Um, like my emotional life feels like the dimmer switch is turned, you know, way down. So it's hard to even perceive what you're feeling, just the general sense of malaise. Yeah. <laughs> you're just you're trying to kind of climb out of that. It can go even deeper than that. You can just, you know, feel like you get sucked down a black hole. Um, mm. 
but mm-hmm. like I said, that's not that's not my typical experience. But then um, you can go into you know just a normal baseline mood where you feel just pretty decent, right? And I love when that comes. I just don't. I'm not in that baseline super often. But then they can go into like your my accelerated mood states will be. Um, uh, it just tends to be higher energy on the good and the bad side of the mood, right? So like high energy and bad mood tends to be very agitated, irritable, um, can be even a little bit erratic. Um, but then if you're in like that good side of mania, it's like, um, it's pretty incredible actually. Like your, um, your thoughts are firing like at an incredible rate. You're seeing a lot of interconnections. Um, and it can be, it can be kind of a very creative interesting place but it's also can be very fragile and very brittle because you're not um your your thinking process because you're feeling so great so think of it like almost like what you would feel like on certain kinds of drugs like you're feeling so great that you're kind of blind to let's say things like consequences and you know that kind of stuff so decision making can get kind of erratic um but i've dealt with you know I've, i've i've done you know, stints with medication without, depending on where, you know, what my needs are. Um, then, you know, lots of therapy. Um, but I've, I've found that, you know, in recent years, um, and maybe this is part of the aging process too, but um, in recent years, I've found that spiritual practice has really helped me um, go within into those cycles in with a lot more clarity and kind of um, embracing the wide spectrum of what those mood states are. So even like a depressive mood state, I feel like, okay, when I can get to the place where I'm like, oh yeah, I'm kind of depressed right now. This is, you know, my outlooks aren't particularly rosy here. Um, <laughs> is it there a lot of times are things for me to, sorry, I don't mean to, it's just oh, yeah. relatable. Oh, okay. it's, just, it's like, it seems relatable. Like, right. <laughs> yeah so it's like I, I i'll go into those um with the sense of like spiritual curiosity yeah of like what's there for me to learn um and same thing with the manias is um like i do have like a lot of it's not uncommon for people who are bipolar to have um kind of out of out of the um normal range of experiences so a lot of a lot of like my spiritual insights um come in like visionary type form right um and it can be uh, very highly visual and so like especially like if i'm in kind of an ecstatic mood state right it's almost like it's like falling into a trance um and so a lot of what i um what i um would deem like real spiritual insights come through these really um, intense and arresting images you know, that will be kind of projected in the mind's eye. I don't, I don't typically, I mean, I've, I've had experiences where I've seen things, right. That's very okay. rare though. Like yeah. maybe a couple times in my life. It's just be, like you get a, a, an idea or, or do you get a specific picture like in your brain? Do you mean like, sometimes a blend of both? Okay. But usually like there will be like, um, there will be some kind of image associated with the idea. Yeah. So they're kind of, will mutually reinforce each other yeah right? yeah, yeah okay um but I've, that... I've i've learned oh. to kind of i've learned through my meditation practice 
which is kind of a, um, uh, I came across a write, some writings in Irenaeus of Lyon um, on the seven heavens, right? And, and it's, a, it's an interpretation of Isaiah 11, 2. Um, Did you say that in one of your videos? And I wasn't sure what that was about. Yeah, and so that that tradition of the seven heavens is is um, very important in like apocalyptic Judaism, and then also in early Christianity. Um, so, um, but you kind of like you have these two re repetitions. So the Irenaeus is working in the Greek text of Isaiah, right? Um, and give me a second here and I can, I have a couple things written down on that so I can kind of explain it a little bit better. I'm just gonna go grab the, grab my notes here real quick. Oh, okay, all right. Okay. I have a quick, question before you go into that as well sure okay all right didn't know if you still had your earphones in your um the with, when you get the visionary states is it usually on your ecstatic or low or does it or is it very it varies okay it really right. does like I, i'm more prone to them in those ecstatic states um okay. but um, so the depression states just all depressing them just... it can be well it, it can be but a lot of times like the that's where like you really have to, uh, I've learned how to kind of fight there's like through. A, there's like a molding that's happening. Uh, mm -hmm. It seems like that's always, uh, at least from my experience, there's it's where you you learn to appreciate it. Um, it's like Ecclesiastes 7, better to go to the house of mourning to, than to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like in those low depressive states, it's like, yeah, it's something's pressing you and forming you in a way. And well, so it's when, like it, the, when it's over, it's like almost better than before. Yeah. Yeah. And the range of light, I mean, you have high frequency, like ultraviolet light outside of the visible spectrum. And that's the frequency is just basically bouncing, you know, and you get down into your infrared and you just have this low frequency, but it's still light. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so yeah, yeah. it's like the frequency turns down with the moods. Um, <gasps> And you said but, the bottom one's like a red color? The infrared spectrum okay, is yeah. a much, much slower, kind of a lazy frequency if you to put it in. And blue is term. high on the spectrum, right? Yeah. And so that's just, it's, it's moving. It, it's movement is, it's a much more yeah. rapid, high frequency um, hmm. form of light. And so it's like your, your experience down in those sub visual, like kind of, I mean, infrared to the, to the naked eye appears dark. You can't see it okay right yeah, yeah. and so um you know but there is a frequency to that to that range of experience that appears like darkness like but it's not and that's the thing that i've learned over the years is it, it will feel like darkness right depression will feel like darkness because i'm depressed why wouldn't i feel that way <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean yeah. um but i think they're like the the aha moment came when I realized I'm not my feelings. Yeah. I'm experiencing okay, yeah, my yeah. feelings, but I'm not those feelings. There's yeah, yeah. more to me than, than the phenomenon that I'm feeling right now. Yeah. And so there's a kind of a distancing and you, you learn to observe yourself from a higher vantage point. Right? Yeah. And I would say that's like, interesting. 
I would say like from a Christian perspective, that's, you know, if we're raised up with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places, we, you can get that heavenly view of, of yourself. That's interesting. That's interesting because the, in the charismatic circles I was brought up and that's something they would emphasize is that you are not your feelings um, to a degree where people would walk away from that um, with a negative outlook on emotions to where like emotions right. are bad, where they'd be like, it's about faith. It's not about how you feel. So how you feel is not really how you are. And so it's like, it's almost this, like where it would go too far in the other direction. And it would be like, right. don't, don't, don't listen to your emotions anymore at all. And it's like, uh, yeah. So it, and it's, it's interesting. Cause it's like, my experience has been kind of quite the opposite is yeah. understanding that like, uh, let's say like, um, so it'll be very simple. Sometimes like I'll, I'll get to, a, I'll get really frustrated. Let's just say it's like a situation at work and I'm driving home from work and I'm like, God, I'm angry. The question is, well, it's like, are you angry? Are you angry? Would be the mm-hmm. question that, uh, that God will ask me. It's like, am I angry? Like, am I, am I taking on anger as my identity is usually what uh, he's driving at? Right? Yeah, no, okay. yeah. I feel, I feel anger. Like, oh, okay, well, let's talk about that. <laughs> You're yeah. feeling anger. What are you feeling angry about? Yeah. What is the feeling? And so like the invitation of kind of, in a sense, that that disassociation from the emotion itself is not to deny the emotion. It's actually to give you space to observe it and to understand the emotion and understand like emotions. Sometimes your, your emotion is perfectly fitting for the moment, yeah. right? When you're holding your child in your arms and you're feeling this fullness and depth of love that your feeling is appropriate to the situation right yeah like mm-hmm. your sensations are your sensations and your your alignment as a human being are aligned right yeah you, you're like oh, okay that's and th- those kinds of feelings are great yeah but there are times when your feelings will tell you and distort your reality a little bit yeah. but the only way you can understand how they're distorting your reality is to actually allow yourself to feel them and to understand what they're saying and what yeah. they're distorting right so yeah. you know in that situation Jonah, of, yeah god's like yeah or is it right for you to be angry he's kind of observing himself being yeah yeah and so you're you know the the um you know and that's been kind of you know i do go through times of, of, of deep suffering with the mental illness stuff um and i i get tired of it i'm just like god when do i have to stop feeling this and he's just, you know, God's very kind and gentle. He says, Jed, you're going to feel all of it. In like the you're going to sway. Yeah, you're going to feel all of it. And it's like, yeah, okay. Yeah. And uh, at least brings in the realism of like, I don't yeah. have to deny that I'm feeling something that I'm actually feeling. Yeah. I just also don't have to be um, burdened with the sense that my feelings are always telling me the truth about God or reality. Sometimes yeah. they are, and sometimes they're not. Yeah. And so when you feel them, you know, then it's like, and that's been helpful for me because sometimes um, when I over-identify with my mood states, which is very easy to do, yeah. my decision-making can, can become really gets thrown off. Right. And yeah. just you, because you're, you're not, you're not in a rational space all the time. Like you're kind of in your feelings. Yeah. Um, so what I've learned in that process like learning to make that distinction has helped me um, as I've kind of grown and matured through now 23, 24 years of, of living with this um, is it's helped me to also 
in a very functional way, you know, kind of live a more ordered life. But that is not that hasn't come easily. Like things yeah. that would seem to come quite easy for people who don't have, you know, that kind of a mood disorder, um, it just comes a little slower for me. You know, but I feel like it, in the process, I'm really learning it. You know, so I'll look at people who are kind of um, have advanced more in life in one respect or the other and, and realize it's like, oh, wow, they're like doing some really amazing things. But it would be kind of cool if they understood why they're why it's working out the way it's working out, you know, yeah. because sometimes like, I think we tend to, to live our lives kind of unaware of ourselves. Um, and my experience with mental illness is it's, it's made me more self-aware um, because it's like, that's very much, you know, my ability to have um, a healthy sense of self-awareness is, is important for, for just my own actual health and safety because it's a it's a dangerous illness like yeah. I mean, the, the oh, statistically yeah. speaking like um most of us don't live long lives um whether that's because we're not taking care of ourselves physically or some in some cases like you know there's a there's a high suicide rate for people with bipolar disorder it's yeah. like one of the it's like one of the highest per capita of, of any group in a population oh, wow. um and so and yeah, you know, so I, you know, you, you fight through some really dark stuff. And um, so you have to, for me, like developing that sense of awareness is actually like, it's not because like I'm um, some wonderfully spiritual person by nature. It's just like in a, in a similar sense of what drives you back, kind of drove you back into your faith is like, there is a sense of like, if I'm gonna survive this life at all, like I have to, I have to learn how to live within the conditions that I'm dealing with. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, yeah, I've, I've, I've learned and grown through that. And it's kind of one of those things that I look at, you know, it's like kind of that weakness that, that has opened me up to the experience of grace. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's affected me in that way because I realized like how fragile things can be for me like it's yeah. not like in myself I, I can I don't feel very indestructible you know I feel like things can knock me out and knock me down um but it, you know in Christ no I feel like there is something indestructible inside of me that like no circumstance can um no circumstance can really um ever overwhelm that mm -hmm. you know um so there's like a high degree of confidence there, but that's come through, you know, it's come through just struggling through life. Yeah. 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 Sorry. I, I laughed earlier too. I'm not like mocking or anything laughs. It's just oh, one no, of those no, prayers no. where you pray to God, like, Hey, yeah, make me feel better. No, sorry. You're gonna, you're gonna have to feel all of it. It's just like, right. oh, man, man. Well, and that's what, but I it, mean, we, that's the, the nature inherent to like Christ's own passion, right? The passion is to undergo and to experience. And he experienced, yeah. he experienced all the good and all of the bad. Oh yeah. 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 Right. And, mm -hmm. um, and I think that it's like, but the experience of the evil and the suffering that Christ encountered did not overwhelm, you know, even, even in his cry of dereliction was really like just the negative expression of his profound conviction that he was never forsaken yeah right mm -hmm. only you know if you're if you're offering that that utterance in faith like you're already 
you've already um, affirmed the the opposite. No, I am not forsaken, even in yeah. asking the question. Um, uh-huh. And so, you know, I think we're called into a similar pattern of life. Now, I don't think everybody's called to deal with mental illness or those kinds of things. Like, I, you know, I don't, I don't wish people to go through hardship or anything like that. But the, I just think it's kind of a brute fact of the human story. <laughs> like, we're all going to go through it. And, yeah. And you know, different faith traditions can can approach that problem in in different ways. Um, but I've you know I've had to find um, I've kind of had to find a path through it for for myself that um, you know has involved kind of uh, you know more rooted more within like the Christian mystical tradition. Yeah. I think that for whatever reason, I think I've been driven in that. Um, down that road which is fascinating though to hear you talk about it and stuff too the the seven heavens the what was mm-hmm. that part because you were just getting ready to go into oh yeah 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 the, so like so the, i'm like i'm familiar you, with this verse too it's a is it also considered the seven spirits of yeah okay yeah right. it's all kind of there so you kind of have this doubling like so you have yeah. like an ordering from from basically top to bottom okay. so the highest heaven would be the heaven of wisdom the the one below that would be uh, the heaven of understanding. The one below that would be the heaven of counsel. The one below that would be of courage or of might. Uh, the one below that is the courage of gnosis or knowledge. And then the one below that is is uh, there's two heavens of fear, right? Um, and in Hebrew, it's using the same term, but it's translated in two different ways in um, two different ways in the Greek text, right? So fear is translated in the sixth heaven as uh, Eusebius, right? Which is to do with devotion. So the fear that gives rise to devotion itself. Um, And then like the seventh heaven, which is the one that encircles our world is the the heaven of of the fear of the Lord that fills this lower firmament of ours, right? And that's um, how how Irenaeus is interpreting that. is interpreting that seventh heaven and and the fear there is more tied to like it's unhealthy manifestation would be terror and absolute sheer horror right that can be in, entailed in both the greek and the hebrew term involved there um, but it can also positively be experienced as wonder or awe or reverence or respect right and so um I, I was really struck by that idea. I don't know, maybe like five or six years ago. Um, and I was like, wow, that, there seems like there's something there. Like I felt like, cause I had, had been kind of just in a time of contemplation. I'm like, Lord, what are those heavens? You know, where, where, where are they? And what are they? When he's like, well, they're inside of you. They're within you. I was like, oh, okay, cool. What does that mean? And I just got kind of radio silence after that. It's like, okay, well, I guess I'm gonna have to find out when I find out, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, fast forward through a couple of years, um, I was really had kind of gone more and more into studying the early church fathers, but also studying other religious texts and seeing some really interesting points of connection. And one of them was like in certain of the, the yogic traditions, 
um, the the way they describe what the chakras are is almost in total alignment with the way the Jewish and Christian tradition is describing the seven heavens, right? And so, and and people have all kinds of opinions on that. I'm I'm less interested in the chakras as you know, like uh, I'm not you know I'm not um, I'm not a, a Hindu, oh. right? I'm not, oh, yeah. I'm not, well, I'm not coming at it from that either. You don't but have to worry what, about me. I'm not. I don't but know, what I found not. them to be, what was really interesting, is like, oh, these are kind of. Um, it's a useful map, right? Mm-hmm. Useful way yeah. of mapping mapping the soul. And I would say like that these are kind of, if you want to put it in um, woo type categories as energetic centers of the soul. Okay. Um, they kind of have, you could say, work on different frequencies, right? Would be another way of describing it. Is that why you put um, the colors with them as well? You send the colors to them? Or? Yeah. A, you have a color wheel, right? Right. Sorry, sorry. Right. I don't mean to distract you. I just right. Yeah, and so the um, the the way that the way that I saw them working was like the seven heavens are spiritual dimensions, right? Okay. And I do draw a distinction between spirit and soul and psyche, right? And so, like the the energetic dimensions of the soul mirror the spiritual world, but they're still a part of this cosmos and this this present world that there's a, there's a spiritual world beyond that. Yeah. And, and so, um, and I was also reading in uh, Margaret Barker who writes a lot on um, the Hebrew Bible and temple mysticism. Right. And another way of framing the same kind of thing, if you take the temple as the body, the, this, the seven day structure of creation. So six days of creation and the seventh day of rest is actually part of like how the the tabernacle itself is constructed right so you know day one of creation is represented by the holy of holies right and then you can go all the way out to the outer courts when god has fully taken up his rest in the temple and that would represent the seventh day and so it's you know it's kind of a, a similar concept um so i use them in in meditation the chakras are just useful kind of internal visual not visual, but an internal sensory marker of where I will um, concentrate as I'm um, as I'm meditating. Um, yeah. But it opens it up, and like there, there were some interesting experiences with it that um, that I uh, I found shocking, but were kind of like what impelled me further toward exploring is more of a means and a mechanism of, of exploring the content and the domains of those heavens themselves. Um, and so, you know, so my practice over the last couple of years is just, you know, usually, I'm not always great about this, by the way, but typically about 10 minutes a day, um, meditating through one of the different heavens, right? And um, they can be, you know, typically just very quiet contemplation nothing magical happens you know um that's usually the experience but there are times when um god's presence becomes quite palpable and the um things can get very um yeah you can see things like you see things with the mind's eye um and so you you know and, and so a lot of times like those meditations can turn into um, extended conversations, right? Uh, 
you know, basically like kind of like I was at my dad's feet when I was a kid, always asking why and what about this? And, you know, kind of your dad teaches you and God, you know, as father gives us the same kind of instruction when we're willing to sit at his feet and just ask questions and be curious. And, and, um, you know, I can't, I can't say like, you know, that they're, you know, revelations that are like binding on all or anything like that. I, I'm not, I don't have those kind of pretenses, but, um, they certainly have been revelatory for me, the way that I've, uh, seen and experienced God in his presence, I think, and not just God, but the company of, of all of, creation and its redemptive finality like i've had that experience and so you can see the beauty and the wonder of it and a realization that that world exists mysteriously even now right and so um like for example paul goes up and he he has this vision in the third heaven right and um what he's describing there in Second uh, Corinthians chapter two. It's not sure if he goes there in the body or not in the body, kind of thing. Um, well, if you if you know the kind of the seven heavens tradition that he's he's um, he's referencing, that is the heaven of counsel, okay. right? And and in a sense, so Paul is taken up into the divine counsel room of heaven and given mysteries that are too wonderful to disclose, but he's um, in a sense, more than likely in that divine council room, that is actually a motif that shows up throughout the old Testament scriptures. Mm -hmm. Right. So God taking counsel among the gods or among the Elohim or the angels or those kinds of things is um, even, even the, uh, the book of Job starts as a divine council room discourse or disputation. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the dimension that Paul is finding himself in and being given revelation. That's too much to, to reference. And if I had to take a guess at what it is, I think it's already alluded to in his first letter to the Corinthians. Um, when he, uh, when he writes in chapter 15, basically this culmination of the grand cosmic story is that, you know, Christ will hand over the kingdom to the father and God will be all in all. Okay. I think he's catching a glimpse of what that actually entails. Um, and, it, you know, like, I mean, if you if you if you think about what that even thinking into like the implications of, of what that could mean. Yeah, they could you could become kind of arrogant and proud. Right. So Paul being afflicted with this thorn in his flesh is is a means to to keep him where god wants him which is working from that place of weakness within the within the contingencies and frailties of his own humanity he's carrying like he talks about in in second corinthians i think it's four you know that they have he has the this treasure in earthen vessels that are pressed hard on every side but aren't broken kind of thing mm -hmm. but what's inside of you is the treasure that's hidden and and it awaits revelation, right? Awaits being brought fully into, um, you know, that hidden and invisible spiritual world being brought fully manifest into the world of appearances as well. Um, I think that that's probably what he's seeing. Um, and the only reason why I would say that is because in my meditations, there have been times where I've, you know, 
you know, whether this is absurdly ridiculous or not, like I felt like I've been in those places. They're seeing those things. And I was like, oh, I can see why he is saying yeah. like, this is too much for words because there's in a, in a way, like what he's seeing there is something that defies our ability to articulate in any clear sense of what that will be. Uh-huh. Yeah. But, do you find the, I mean, I, I, I think I'm totally tracking with you. Like, I understand what you're saying in that certain things are beyond language doesn't do them justice. Have you found um, any sort of language to try to get across those ideas? Is that where the images come in, you think? Yeah, the images come in. Um, like, I, in some of the things that I put up on my channel, and there's more, I, I, a lot of times it's like, the videos I put up are kind of translations of those experiences that I've had and trying to like pull from the domain of biblical studies, theology, philosophy, the things that I'd normally like to study anyways, but be able to use those as tools. Like what I'm doing is very different than I think maybe some of my friends who are theologians or philosophers is they're using the discipline to advance the systems of thought that they're within I'm using those systems to articulate experiences. Yeah. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I don't know if I'm always doing it well or doing it right, but I do know that like, it's like there's things that I experienced. And I'm like, oh, wow. I think that this is relevant and pertinent. So um, yeah, I, like kind of in our discussion of, um, and one I had with Nate a little bit on, um, role of AI and angels and demons, I think was the one he put up on his channel. Um, some of these things are things that I see, um, but the, like the, the principle of plenitude, right? That, the, that we are going to be involved in an infinitely unfolding story that you know, is, uh, is uh, typified by kind of this co-creative activity, co-creative activity that is happening between Christ and his church. Yeah. I think that's what the bridal imagery is signifying, right? Is, you know, what do you do after you get married? Well, in most instances, you go make babies, right? Um, and in a sense, like, you know, mm-hmm. while I don't think that, you know, the relationship between Christ and his bride fits perfectly well within the sexual metaphor, the reproductive mm-hmm. and the creative metaphor, I think, still obtains, right? Yeah. Is that we will be involved in this very productive, creative work together. Yeah, um, that stretches on into basically the infinite. So as a yeah. as a mode of of um, as a mode of uh, expressing the divine beauty in all of its radiant possibilities among the order of finite things. Um, I didn't come to that insight because I thought about it. I came to that insight because I saw it. Yeah, you yeah. know. And so I found it was, it was a, this arresting and shocking kind of experience. And I've it was experienced it in about three or four different times in different periods of prayer or meditation, um, all of which kind of were variations on a, on a similar theme. Um, and so I can get into that, um, but I do need to step away for just a quick minute. Oh yeah, that's fine. I'm gonna grab another drink then if you're doing that. Okay, I'm just gonna, I wanna push pause on the recording here. Okay. Okay, so we're back and I'm kind of going to relay a couple of those um, experiences that inform some of the things that Jason, you and I and Nate talked about in terms of like 
the infinity of creation itself. Yeah. Um, and uh, so one of them actually shows up. I wrote a book called The Damned May Enter. And this, this visionary sequence that I wrote of in the book was something that echoed something that I had, had experienced, right? And um, the... I, the, at the point in time when I had the experience, I was reading some of like the pre-Socratic philosophers, like um, Zeno was one of them. And he has, he's the one who comes up with like the tortoise and the hare and Zeno's arrow, right? Is an arrow ever moving at any one given moment in time? It's like, it's not moving in any moment, but it's still finding its way to its destination kind of thing. Um, and I was thinking of that in terms of just um, like, linear sequencing, right? So if, if I'm standing 10 feet from a wall and I walk half the distance, I go to five feet, then two and a half feet, then one and a quarter, you know, and then you're kind of, but technically you never actually, if you're going, you know, step-by-step, step, half by half, you never actually arrive at the wall. Like you're only just cutting your distance to the wall by tiny little increments, right? This is kind of, kind of the idea. Um, so anyway, I was just, you know, this was kind of before I had like a very, um, structured meditation practice. Sometimes I just would sit and think on something and pray about it and be like, well, what about this? And what about that? And that was kind of what had happened. And then, um, I went into kind of a, a visionary experience where, um, where what was happening was, is I was standing kind of in the middle of like the cosmos you could see galaxies and nebulas and all this kind of stuff and then it kind of at the center point in an, in an indistinct center of the galaxy was this this radiant glorious light um and i kind of knew i was like you know it was representing kind of the god's presence right and so I was invited to take a step into the presence and then after every step like different things were happening in the cosmos around me, right? Is I was seeing like right now from our vantage point of our observation, I know there's, um, you know, like there's UFO and ET type speculation out there, but from, from the hard science, we have not yet been able to prove that life exists outside of this planet, right? The, the universe appears like we're the lonely living island in this vast, you know, vast stretches of basically space, space dust and space rocks yeah. <laughs> and burning balls of gas. Right. Um, so taking a step further into that glory and then seeing like the signatures of life growing throughout the universe. So it was taking on the cosmos was taking on this kind of blue and green signature light signatures of life. Like our atmosphere appears blue from outer space and from our experience of it. Right. And yeah. so you'd see, I'd see like these different, these different things like life kind of growing and pro proliferating throughout the universe. And it was like life that was um, in this kind of divine harmony. Right. And it was like, Oh, this is cool. This is like, this is the kind of the future path that the, that the universe is on is to be full and teeming with life and to, for that life to be self-consciously in God's presence. Right. And so that was just like one progression. And the question was, well, have you yet arrived into my glory? And I was like, no, not yet. Like there's still more. It's like, we'll take another step. 
right? And I was like, okay. So I take another step. And, you know, as I'm, as I'm taking further steps, the, the universe is taking on this kind of progressively, this transfigured universe that's still emerging through some kind of struggle, but it's, it's, it's moving into awareness of itself as God's creation and in, in union with God as a result. Um, and, you know, so the, the steps would just keep progressing and you're going progressing further and further into glory and the glory, the glory is driving the unfolding of the story itself into new horizons and vistas. Um, and it, it would culminate to this point where this universe is complete. And then what was happening outside of that is it was almost like this fractal. It was like a big bang. It was like this fractal explosion of all kinds of worlds branching out of this world when it's finally reached its, its omega point, essentially, mm -hmm. is it became, um, it became this, just this, this fractal unfolding of divine glory is really dazzling. Um, yeah. And so, you know, then like, you know, fast forward, maybe a year and a half later, I'm reading St. Gregory of Nyssa on his whole um, concept of epictasis, which is like an ever everlasting outstretching. I was like, oh yeah, I totally know what that is because I experienced it. You know yeah. what I mean? I'm like, oh, what he's writing about, you know, 15, 1600 years ago is totally like the conceptual framework of what that experience was, was, was like this yeah. further up, further in kind of um, vision of what that could possibly be. Um, and so it, it became like a, in, an intellectually formative experience um, that I, it took me a little while to arrive, you know, fully within that. Um, but then I, I got into some of that, um, what the secondary vision was in, in a video I put up called the Kintsugi Cosmos, right? The Kintsugi art is like a Japanese kind of a, a Zen concept out of their wabi-sabi aesthetic that um, a broken piece of pottery or porcelain or whatever can take on more value when it's fitted back together with this golden enamel, um, right? So the, the original takes on new beauty because of its age and its fracturing um, and becomes more valuable than what it was before it had been broken. And I was seeing like the stones in the, in the, the heavenly Jerusalem, the, the temple is made of, you know, it shines like gold, but it also takes on the properties of glass. And it was just like these, basically these glass blocks that looked like they had been dropped and fractured and then had been fitted back together with this gold that gave them like a golden appearance that at a distance just shined like gold, but it was translucent like glass. But when you got up close, what it was, it was a kind of had like this fractal thumbprint of of like and somebody's life and i was so i was looking at those looking at these bricks in this cosmic temple essentially and asking the lord what those are and he's like well that's my people so each one of these stones in the house of god was emblematic of of somebody's life um but like what that is is um you know if you get into modern cosmology and multiverse theory and all that kind of stuff there's your life is the life you experience is is a fraction of the life that you actually have at the, at the grandest scale um and that it comes together and it converges in a culmination that is a that is the total reflection of 
what it means to say Christ in me, the hope of glory, right? Is like every possibility where Christ can be glorified in your life will be glorified, right? And so, but, you know, the process comes through our brokenness and our weakness. Um, and that becomes kind of this, it became kind of the, um, the new Jerusalem, that, that city of the Holy of Holies is kind of the mystery of that first day of creation. And so it's this new creative power in the cosmos that God is, is using, using our stories to create new stories. Um, and our accumulated experience of life in the world, he's provided for us and give us uh, new creative possibilities that God, God is still the creator. Like we don't create independently of him, but he gives life to um to the stories and the worlds that are contemplated in our own imaginations. Um, also that the divine perfection can be displayed in those as well. And, um, you know, so it's like, I, I wish I was better, uh, you know, as a theologian or as a philosopher to be able to describe that, you know, in metaphysically tight language. And I can go there at times, but like it's, it, these are experiences that were so immense um, that it gave me a sense of like, so for me here, it's like the hard part is you have this really lofty experience. Well, what does that mean here now? Well, it means I have to learn how to create well, which means I have to have a good imagination. Where's a good imagination formed? Well, as it turns out, it's at the cross, right? If the cross reorients our conscious awareness and experience of the world because it it interrupts the natural cycle which is kind of a zero-sum cycle of survival of the fittest um, hierarchies of dominance and power right and it opens up this new non-zero-sum reality where life gives itself to life where god the living god gives his life as the life of the world and um and in doing so creates it for the it's the that is the new creation is the cross that's where creation is happening and so the imagination that is formed there at the cross and is able to image forth its truth there's really no limit on what you can imagine from that paradigm that can that can ultimately result in god being glorified and enjoyed by his creatures um so yeah so it it um you know those experiences that i'll I'll have, I'll try to write about it. I, I did write on, on that one. It, I did a, a little article on my blog um, that was just a, um, had to do with like a, a, a brief philosophical and theological argument for that kind of a model. Um, but those come out of my experiences first. And, and so it's a, it's a different, and I didn't used to be that way. I used to be the kind of guy who had to read, research the theology and the biblical interpretations and make up, make the distinctions and all that kind of stuff. But what I realized is that I would have had that almost completely backward. Is like if I'm ever going to really know anything at all, like I have to have some kind of living encounter with it. Yeah. Okay. It can't be just the it can't just be the abstract world of philosophical and theological reasoning. Not to say that those are bad, like those can be really good, but they're just not the thing. Yeah, they're almost not grounded or something too. It's like they're, yeah, they're, yeah, they're just lofty ideas. Yeah, yeah, they can be, 
and it's like you can't get around needing to use that language because of because some of those experiences are so immense like you have to kind of your language is necessarily limiting what those experiences are by putting them into words but it's your only way to translate it right mm -hmm. um and so um yeah yeah but, but those experiences it just tells me something. that yeah i think art does better but it's art, still limited yeah it still so, does yeah. it's still kind of a but it it opens up the ability for others to kind of interpret and and come to a fuller understanding on their own um but what it, it, it what it taught me jason is just like a um it opened up the for me the the um kind of the limitless expanse of god's love that is always seeking out and generating what it loves mm -hmm. you know it, it's it's creating what it loves and bringing that that creation into his love and so there's yeah. really no limit on that. And there's no limit on the experience of that kind of goodness. Um, yeah. Which can be quite encouraging when you're going through, you know, the difficulties and the struggles and the sufferings that life brings us is like, you know what, this isn't the whole story. This isn't even my whole story. You know, this is just the limitations of my own experiences here and now, but there's so much more beyond that than what I have the ability to experience within my own limitations as they currently stand. We won't always have those, you know, so. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, it's hard to, those experiences sound incredibly profound. They're kind of hard to wrap wrap your mind around, especially the second one, I think is a little harder for me. Um, uh, because I, th I think because it's hard to imagine. I think our just imagination is so limited, you know, which is, feels somewhat related to hope as well too where it's like a as you mentioned the blocks the cinder blocks it's like every possibility and when and it kind of relates to the multiverse and everything like that and mm -hmm. it's uh all those things could be redeemed because we're re restricted right now in possibilities like you have to make decisions and you have to make pretty huge ones at certain parts of your life like that's how i describe the my at least how i perceive the multiverse is sometimes is that i'm like there's this realm of possibilities and there's all these different me's out there that i have to choose especially at certain points where you can kind of feel it like a simple one is like should i get married or should i not get married like so you're dating a girl and then there's this point where you gotta just make this decision and it's like if you go this way you'll be a different person down the line if you go this way you'll be a different person and that's so it's like that's at least how i perceive it and so you're constricted in this world we live in now where mm -hmm. You can't have all those, but then that's like, it's hard for your imagination to go there, you know, and say, how, well, could, like all those, how could all those things be? You know? It's it's that Bob Dylan song that then it's, you know, in, um, what is it? A Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, you know, like the, the question of how many roads must a man go down? Yeah. You know, and, and I think that, you know, based that's on my own, one. my own experiences, all of them yeah that's a really you know good one, and yeah. so like even like robert's robert frost's famous poem of two word two woods two roads divergent in, in a yellow wood right the, the the um he took one road that took all the different that shaped his experience and yeah. it makes all the difference and i would argue of course you're right robert of course you're <laughs> right however you did take both roads 
Mm. Yeah. Like, and we, we, we go through those branches in our reality and some of them are, are caused by terrible choices we make, but sometimes you're confronted with two good options. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And two bad options too. Or two bad options, like you're, or a range of options. And it's like, um, like the way I see that is like, we do take all of those like you know and so like our current storytelling is pushing up and opening those kind of vistas and those possibilities so even like in the marvel cinematic universe with like these multiverse theories is is there kind of on the front line of advancing the concept um and i'm not saying that the way they're advancing it is totally the way things are but the idea that no there's there's more to you than just the domain of your own experience right um, so do you think that have you somehow experienced that in this life or do you think that's like some sort of like you're talking about next next life where that you have the fractal explosion and then you get a, right uh, so i think that i i think in my own experience of that like every universe represents its own range and branches of a total realm of possibility all of which will be exhausted but all of the possibilities that are, let's say all the possibilities that I have in this universe, they're still finite, right? There's still a finite number. There's just a lot of them. There's just a large range of possibilities that I could do or be or become. Um, and that kind of branches out, but there's a convergence at the, at the final horizon, right? Is that every good thing that you could possibly be uh, in this world is kind of, uh, is, a, is an approximation of the true self, right? The true self that uh, is raised and co-seated and co-raised with yeah, Christ yeah. and God, right? So, yeah, yeah. so the, your true self is basically the, the living image of Christ. Um, and at the convergent point, all those possibilities of who and what you are that are redemptive and good and, and, and are reflective of the image converge into the one resurrected true self. Um, and yeah. I see that, I see that on the far end of the horizon that then becomes the explosive power. It's kind of like a convergence point, right? A nexus where everything meets and then opens back up again. And so like the encounter uh, the encounter of God in judgment is like also what I've seen within that. And, and I'm not the only person who's seen it because there's been other Christian writers who talked about that is, um, is the encounter with the true self. Not only are you seeing God in the judgment, and this is what's terrifying about the, the judgment is that um, you can see your true self and your true self may not recognize you. That's what Jesus is saying because he is in a sense, the image of the true self. When he says, depart from me, I never knew you. That's a, it's a horrendous, like a terrifying indictment of a life that missed the point, right? To where you are not even recognizable to yourself. Yeah. yeah. And so I do think that, that we are involved in our own judgment. That's in a very positive and affirming sense is that, um, is that, you know, the, the choices we make, the ranges of choices that we make are productive and creative of the world, 
they help generate the world around us. We create the conditions of our own world with our choices in a lot of ways. Now, not all of our choices dictate the, what, the, what the world is, but we have a shaping power with the choices we make. They have a creative power. One choice will create the opportunity for the next choice, which will create, you know what I mean? Like, and we'll create a context where others can make similar choices. Yeah. Right? So that's where healthy communities can be such a creative center and a, and a, and a creative power is because they're creating through, through um, choices that are coherent with, in, in a collective sense with what God's created them to be, opens up new possibilities. Um, that those choices are, are realizing themselves. And so it's like, we actually, like, we have a, um, it's like everything that we are has been already determined in Christ, right? It's, we're determined to be like him. That's what Christ, that's why we were created. But the yeah. path in which we grow into that can take just a myriad of different expressions. Um, mm -hmm. And our responsibility of choosing within that is actually rather immense. Um, uh -huh. And, yeah. you know, and the, you know, we're, we're never like the cross um, forgives us of every evil deed. Right. But we will still have a, an obligation and an opportunity to, um, bring good where evil once was, right? And so that, like, even like the broken aspects of our story and the judgment um, become get repaired. It's just that that may be painful. Um, oh yeah, the process can be excruciating because you realize how how short you fell of that. But it's not like you're being punished for sin in the sense no. that we typically think is that you the so debt of goodness that you owe to God is an infinite debt. And he will require that goodness. And it's just it, the more comfortable we get in freely accepting and expressing that goodness, the um, the more positive our relationship to that final judgment actually becomes. Yeah. Because we yeah, realize this... that we're made in Christ's image and we have certain responsibilities there. And I, I you know, in my own personal life, I can cite time and time again where I consistently fall short in that. But I also know that the trajectory of my life has changed as a result of some of those encounters. Yeah. 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 There's a Cal had just sent me a podcast that I listened to last night. I went out so I could listen to it. I just don't want it on a night drive. But uh, there was one thing they said in there where they said uh, one of the most painful things. I, one of the guys in there said one of the most painful things I ever experienced was being forgiven um, because it's just they were like it completely strips you like it's it, like it is the in a way it is the judgment because it just completely exposes you and then he he was saying there was another girl he kept trying to forgive and she would get mad at him and say I, that's I don't want your forgiveness like the last thing I need so there's this yeah this uh in one sense reckoning with forgiveness is like i mean it's like this dual working of forgiveness and repentance it's like which is absolutely like you said excruciating sometimes it's a and and it can feel like hell for sure um and it can be extremely painful because it's just yeah like i like the way they put it it just strips you naked it just completely uh, lays you bare in a way forgiveness does um, yes. in the best in the best way i mean in all the most redeeming way um but it's yeah it's 
yeah it's hard to deal with i don't know but even yeah when you were talking too i just even all the like the visionary states yeah hard to put into the language um but i feel like i was going to ask you this too do you feel like people get the the same ideas in multiple different ways because even when you were describing some of it in the fractal explosion thing almost kind of made me think of the way sherry talks about i think she the if I'm, I'm probably gonna quote her wrong, but I think she said something similar to like it's wounds, wombs all the way up or something, and mm -hmm. like the open circle, it's like a womb into another womb into another womb into another. Yeah. Oh, Sherry's, Sherry's special. Um, oh yeah. Um, but she'll yeah. say things like that. And you're like, wait, hold, hold on, I gotta think about this for like, like she'll make these statements where I'm like, I know you're probably right, but like, I have it. I got it. It's like an image. She'll give me an image and you got to like meditate on it. And you're like, I need about 20 minutes so I can get back to you. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Luke will talk about that in his kind of his uh, mosaic vision type yeah. stuff too. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and, and yeah, I think that, so I think that, you know, like at some point I'll probably spend more time probably developing and teaching my own meditation techniques and, and those kinds of things. But I operate under no illusion that this is the only or primary way that people need to, or that people, the only way that people are having these kinds of experiences. Yeah. Right. The, to me, what's important, and I think, it, and it's, it can be individual and unique, and it should be like in that kind of mosaic of images within images, within images, within images, like it's, you're going to experience those in a different way, but, um, we all have a responsibility to um, cultivate a sense and awareness of God's presence. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's not the same. It doesn't mean that like philosophical, theological, you know, sociological, any kind of method of analysis or reasoning are bad, but it's not, that's not it. It's that's, that's what we use to describe the thing. It's not the thing. Yeah. 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 Right. Um, and so, um, yeah, yeah, and I so, ran into this too. I was thinking I was trying to use the star, like my friend Mitch, I was trying to use the star David, and he was like, What is this? What is it? And I was like, I was like, I agree with you, it's not about this. I was like, This is just like it's like I'm trying to use it like a word, like it's just a picture, it's not about the picture, it's about the thing the picture is trying to represent. And I was just like, mm -hmm. It did, it. I was like, I had, Yeah, I, I totally understand. It's like it's all images yeah. and languages trying to express the uh, the thought behind the thing uh whatever that it's that see that even falls short it feels like but it's kind of i don't know it's kind of like the way i actually what i actually think speaking in tongues is right <sighs> um so i mean I, that is a part of my practice by the way um but um i think that like what we see you know in pentecost in the speaking in tongues is something that um, the spirit is acting as kind of this um, universal translator, right? There, he's people are speaking in their own language and hearing it. You know, the the speaking the speaking the language gap is overcome, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. At Pentecost, and that's kind of a reversal of Babel in a sense. Yeah. Right? Is is that your your speaking in tongues is tying into the universal language of the Holy Spirit? That's, and I've had the same sense. I, yeah, it seems like it's a breaking of vessels in a way. Like yeah, a, 
because the it, uh, a word is just a body for a thought right and so when you're mm-hmm. you're like shatter it's like shattering all those those ideas because it it gives you a way to express something that can't be expressed in words and it's mm-hmm. it's incredibly profound once you actually start thinking about it more and just how language when you start to think about how language develops how it actually develops it's like speaking in tongues is one of the most incredible like most incredible tools i think one can get into as well yeah and i think that it's like that's the same kind of thing um i do think that that's i mean it's inherent in the pentecost promise is you know i would pour out my spirit on all flesh right there's no qualification there and say i'll pour out my spirit on christians or you know um or i will pour out my spirit on my people right it's i will pour out my spirit on all flesh and you know you know young and old are going to dream dreams and prophesy yeah mm-hmm. well why is that yeah well it's because of the immediacy of it's the immediacy of the experience of the spirit coming upon us yeah. and um that's, that's and the way that we experience that is going to necessarily for each of us is necessarily going like we have such profound similarities to each other so there'll be a common thread through those experiences but it's necessarily going to be unique to the individual Mm -hmm. but the responsibility that we have and the ability like i would say like with sherry right since i know sherry pretty well um, or reasonably well like the reason why she's able to articulate things the way she does is because she's actually experienced them yeah Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, in and, a very and the real way, personal way, in a very real and personal way, um, and uh, that's what makes her like exceedingly wise. Even though you know, I don't think Sherry would classify herself as a philosopher or a theologian or anything of the of the sort. Like she certainly is plenty conversant yeah, but- in that world because she she experiences it in a very direct way. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like a, a child. That- it's a it's a weird childlike wisdom that like surpasses all the philosophical wisdom and it's just simple and uh i i don't know how to describe it i mean it's it's not simple is not the right word because it's incredibly profound at the same time but yeah it's just she is very wise i would say yeah and i and i think that those are the things that um like i like in my own visionary experiences i've seen that 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 same spirit is still being poured out um, in our own time and in fact in increasing measure yeah Um, but i think that if you know kind of like when saul encounters the spirit in these kind of positive and negative ways throughout his reign as king over israel right he he can experience that outpouring of the holy spirit in a kind of a madness that that can be kind of destructive because he doesn't have the inward capacity to translate what he's experiencing into a way that helps him rule cogently and wisely um and he also has these positive experiences as well um you know even like kind of a a protological speaking in tongues experience when he's kind of has these this ecstatic utterances um you know before he's um, anointed as king and um i think that those are kind of protological ways of ex- expressing like 
part of what we're experiencing of the madness of our time is a um, an inability to translate the um, radical outpouring of the spirit in our age that will be manifest in two ways. It will be manifest as glory and uh, you know, with the sons and daughters of God, but it will be manifest in a, in a kind of madness in the world. Um, and in a sense, it's exposing the world's madness. And, um, and it's not that, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, as heaven meets earth, it, there's a confrontation there. Yeah. Because it's, it's also not, not only is it um, revealing the good, it's revealing the nature and the depth of the deception that it entails in, in evil and in the badness that that is something that we all experience in our world. Um, and so those things like we, you know, my sense of like, why are we in the apocalypse? Because all the things hidden from the foundation of the world are now being manifest. Um, and, um, you know, the the nature and the structure, the, the nature and structure of our own damaged reality is showing itself forth. And we're seeing, I think we all are beginning to see the very real limits. Like we're all facing these kind of limits of, man, we can't keep doing it this way or things are going to fall apart. Yeah. Well, that in itself is a revelation, like of there has to be a paradigm shift. Mm -hmm. And I, I happen as a Christian to think that paradigm shift has already happened. It happened at Calvary and that it's, like it's kind of this irrepressible creative power that's unleashed in all of creation, uh, making it what it actually is, calling it forth into the fullness of its own being. Um, but that entails, you know, struggle and conflict. But, um, but I think in that context, that's the context in which um, the sons of God are revealed, right? And so I think like even in like charismatic communities, there's some of the, there's a sense of that. They have a very real sense of that, a developing sense of like that there's something, uh, you know, I like to put it in Bill and Ted's excellent adventure language, something <laughs> strange things are afoot at the circle K. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like they, I think they are intuiting some of that, uh, but also other religious traditions are, are kind of grappling with some of these concepts because history itself is its own kind of disclosure. Um, but there's, I think in our time, um, I think that that we're going to come up on some pretty radical inflection points that will call God's people into some very interesting work um, yeah. as, as our own times progress. And I see us kind of in that, um, in that period before what's kind of like the gathering storm is a, um, a period where we are what what we need to be doing is um, really radically orienting ourselves within God's presence, so we can understand what's happening in our times, understand how we can speak and act within them. Yeah, and yeah, I don't I think, think that's entirely clear at this point, but I think that that picture is becoming clearer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's just yeah, I think you're right. There's this grounding point you kind of got to hold on to, and I think it's related to what you talked about the imagination uh being i don't know if the, i don't even remember the word you said but having to be grounded at the cross or something like that um mm -hmm. because it is a um uh, uh when the imagination's opened up 
um, there's like uh, all sorts of madness can pour through if it doesn't have that grounding um, and all sorts mm-hmm. of delusion. And it just, it is, mm-hmm. it's absolutely terrifying when you think about it, um, if you don't have that grounding of what it could get into. Um, Cause it's just like the world of the flood. It's just like a flood is coming. It's just a flood, <laughs> Flood's coming. unless you have that, that uh, grounding or arc or something, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah. Um, uh, I don't know. It is. It, I would completely agree, though. It does feel, and I think multiple people have said that too. That it feels like a shift um, uh, that everybody, and even talking to people, it's like I can, you can express ideas that me and Cal were talking about this. It's like you get to this idea, and it's like, man, it took me like a year to get here, and you go to explain it to someone else, and they'll get it like this. It's like, how is this happening? Like, people are just, feels like there has been this shift, some sort of like collective conscious shift where uh, people are. I don't know what it is, but uh, people can intuit things better. And in charismatic circles, I'm not really sure. It seems like they definitely um, have an intuitive, like, inner sense for things that they can pick up on. But I don't know if they can always um, keep up. At least in the circles I've been in, it seems like uh, philosophically and, like, theological discussions, they don't – I don't know that they can't it's not that they can't keep up with them i think there just might be a lack of interest or something um mm-hmm. or they or they think it's getting off into something now we shouldn't say not valuable but just uh to where um i think paul, i heard paul vanderclay said a long time ago it's like a lot of times he doesn't from he was saying from his encounter it's not that people are are ever ignorant it's just they just don't want to pay the amount of attention to something or it's not a lack of it uh intelligence is a lack of attention or something like that so i think i've encountered that as well too like where you'll get in conversations and some people they just they're just not interested and so mm-hmm. it's like they, they could totally understand uh probably all the like everything all these philosophical theological ideas it's just that um they're too i don't know everybody's too busy everybody's got stuff going on though it's totally understandable yeah yeah, yeah. So, well, know. my ongoing my ongoing debate with my with my charismatic friends, like, um, so they've kind of like one of the things that they discuss quite often. I don't know if you're familiar with this or not, um, you know, because like charismatic and Pentecostal communities are very diverse uh, in terms of like what things they're emphasizing within their own churches and their own communities. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but um, one of the things that I've encountered is like. Um, kind of this dominionist and it comes out of like there are certain like the seven mountains prophecy type stuff i don't know if you're familiar with that uh, i'm vaguely familiar but not right not, different domains yeah. of of areas of culture and governance and all this kind of stuff that christians are called into and to kind of govern and rule yeah and I... and you know it's like um I get where it's coming from, but I think it's actually, I think it's almost a hundred percent totally wrong, but like it can only be the, as wrong as it is because it's, it's has some, some vital and valid intuitions <laughs> is yeah, we, we are called to be in the world. Um, but we, and we are called to rule, right. But how does Christ rule yeah, in this he world? Dies. He does it from the cross. Yeah, he died. Yeah, yeah, he dies. Right. This is behold your king, and then there he is dying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And yeah. and so his his rule is actually expressed in something 
that is an inversion of all of our worldly expectations yeah. of what rule looks like is the, the giving of the self, the service to the other. Right. And so yeah. um, I, I think that like what, and this isn't, this is outside of Christian, uh, outside of charismatic communities. It just takes a different flavor in different kinds of Christianity, right. Where there's this common assumption that we need to kind of um, have this kind of Christianized culture that we need to create and preserve and all these kinds of things. And, and I actually, um, I think that that's deeply confused um, because I think that like the, the calling of, of the church is not to shape culture, is not to, um, it will inevitably shape culture just because it's present in culture, but it's uh -huh. like our responsibility is not to rule it's over a, that. Or, it's 11, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a leavening yeah. agent, but like our responsibility is simply to bear witness. Uh-huh, yeah. It's, it's to it testify. Works, it works from yeah. like the inside out, not the outside in or something. It's right, like, exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And it's just like, I mean, you know, our, our, you know, our Western culture and I mean, you can talk about all the, the bad things within Western culture and there's plenty of things to talk about there. Um, but it has also been um, positively and irrevocably shaped by Christian testimony down through the last 2000 years. Right. So yeah. it, it's shifted our own expectations on a, a whole range of things. We do not view the world today as a result of, the presence of Christianity in history in the way that the ancients viewed the world. Right? Yeah. Our expectations, our ethical and moral expectations have shifted radically as a result of, you know, you know, yeah. even the idea of like, even, even like a lot of non-Christian, you know, people who are self-consciously non-Christian will be like, yeah, well, you know, I try to abide by the golden rule and the sermon on the Mount. It's like, well, why, why yeah. do you, why do you, yeah. why do you hold that ideal? if you're not holding to the, you know, the overall religious structures, because, well, our society has completely shaped those expectations yeah, radically. And even the critiques against that kind of stuff are still shaped by something that, you know, by seeing Christ planted in the ground a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think that like the, it's like there's a there's a kind of an inescapability and an inexorability of the kingdom growing just like christ said it did you know like a yeah. like a seed that is planted and it grows into you know a tree that can accommodate all kinds of life um and so that is already growing and so our responsibility is not to uh our responsibility is just kind of get out of the way and let it grow in a sense and the way that we um the way that we can positively contribute to its growth is by, by bearing faithful witness and testimony in our own lives to that work. Um, yeah. And I, and so I don't think that like, you know, it, it necessarily entails like um, conquest, right? We don't have to, it, it, it does entail a conquest, but only in the most ironic sort of way. Yeah. yeah. Right. It does entail overcoming, but not through strife you know, and, um, and so I, I, I think that that's where a lot of, like, historically, a lot of Christian, the Christian experience of, like, Christendom and all these kinds of ideas that we are, you know, overly active in the realm of the state and in the political and cultural realms. It's like, well, we're inevitably going to be active there because we're, we live in the world. But I think the paradigm is very different. And I think that we're called to something that, um, 
kind of uh, doesn't force that reality. Yeah, right. I, I would agree. And usually that agreement gets me in some trouble, though. Like you've probably experienced this. That's where you lock horns and things like that. But I think that the passion that people feel in getting involved in those sort of things in uh, the political and um, all that sort of stuff is um, probably comes from a good place. Whoops, sorry. Hold on a sec. Sure. There's a stink bug. I can't get that on you, man. Those things, those things are crazy. Um, but yeah, I think it ultimately comes from a good place uh, where people are just uh, wanting what's good for the world. But then, yeah, it gets twisted and it's up. Uh, my friend Mitch said this to me. It really stuck out to me. He said, and it was just so quick too, because it was a mid, I think it was maybe four of us in a conversation. He said, well, yeah, when you, um, when you choose a hill to die on, you usually end up dying on it. And I was just like, for some reason that stuck with me. And I was just thinking about it like, yeah, I think, I think that's true. But I think that the Christian way is like, you've already died on it is the thing. It's probably how you need to approach it. Cause like you got the, the whole seven mountain theology thing. It's like one of those can be extremely important to you or whatever you, whatever hill you want to choose to die on. It's like, you need to have already died on it. And then it flips it. Like you said, it's like, cause if that's Christ on the cross, right? He becomes King. He's King of the Hill. And then he's on the cross. It's like, he's already, he's already dead before he ascends the hill sort of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so it flips the whole, the whole structure of it. Like you're talking about. Um, yeah. And it's not a, it's not a conquest at that point. It's not you standing on the top of the hill, cutting people's down or trying to get up there to you. It's like, you're, you're almost carrying the hill at that point or something or you're or buried beneath it. I don't know what imagery you want to use, but it's, it's a, yeah, the kingdom works in a totally different way. Um, but that's it. Yeah, it is a hard thing to balance though, because people are, um, I think ultimately, at least I think begins probably with a, a state of love where people just see the world, or maybe you could even, maybe it could even be fear though too, because people could look out at the world and just say like, man, it's just crazy. So we need to do something about it. And they're reacting out of fear. I don't really know. Um, I would hope it originally comes from a, a good. Yeah, I think that there's, I think there's a mo, I think there's a mixture of good and bad motivations in that, you know, and, and um, you know, I'm, I, but I think like the, where things become, I think like where we, we veer into the realm of, of danger that imperils your own spiritual existence Mm -hmm. right and i think that this is realistically we've seen times in history where this danger has has manifest in reality is when you are willing to endorse or engage in violence yeah. to advance your uh, agenda in the world you've lost yeah you've already lost oh yeah yeah there's and, a and like it's not like that's a that's a particular problem that faces just our age it's it's surfaced throughout the history of christianity is some of the most um apocalyptic violence ever committed in the world has been committed under the banner of the cross yeah mm -hmm. yeah i mean I which see. means it's like a total it's a total betrayal of the very thing that christ is doing on the cross yeah yeah which is why and, i have to, I, oh sorry go ahead go ahead yeah and so that, that's i think part of like i mean i constantly come back to that i mean probably on almost any time i'm talking on youtube right is like that is the danger in our time 
and mm-hmm. Christians are are very very prone to that very danger, and it's it's a it's a danger to their own souls um, that I, I don't think I don't think Christians have adequately grappled with. Right. So when I when I read news stories of Christian pastors agitating toward a civil war in America, that's that that signals that's like a canary in the coal mine. That signals real trouble on the horizon. Right. Yeah, and yeah. and my you know, my advice to people who are in that or, or are sitting under that kind of teaching or are in that kind of mindset is get out. Yeah, but they don't. A lot of times they don't want to. It's it gets stirred up um, in that in those circles, right. and it's a yeah. I, I don't know why it's so tasty to people. It's like a delicacy, and it's a it's it gets very um yeah. I don't know why. I don't know why that is. But um, gosh, what was I gonna say? I was gonna oh yeah, just the the danger you're talking about. Um, where I think Luke Thompson says that um is like Christ and Antichrist are just a hair's breadth away or something like that. I think in the, yeah, it's just, it's that idea when I don't think, I don't think hardly any, uh, I, I mean, well, I shouldn't say that. It seems like people maybe recognize it. I think intuitively they recognize it, but not up here. And then I get some into trouble. And a lot of Christians don't recognize that is that you enter into Christianity and you're, uh, it's so easy to be, become the, become the betrayer because it's like, like I've said this, statement before and my friend Mitch said you have you don't need to say that it's really bad but I've said before I was like I don't care what god you worship like as long as it's on the mercy seat because I'm like to me I'm like any any highest truth any highest aim any highest good like god puts different things in all of our hearts so any virtue you want to strive for it's like go for it with all your heart but just keep it on the mercy seat because otherwise you're going to use that virtue at some point to start killing other people like even love if love is the highest goal it's like like when I was resentful towards the church, it was like, cause I thought they weren't loving enough. It's like, I'm holding love as this highest good as the best truth I can have. And then all of a sudden it becomes, I'm using it as the judge to kill other people. And it's like that. And I forget the love that saved me. And so it's like, I'm almost betraying the own love in the name of love and betraying the love that saved me or something and stabbing it in the back. Sorry, everybody's out of you yelling now. <laughs> no, it's okay. It sounds adventurous. <laughs> well, there's show. I think everybody's showing up for the dinner for Kate Kate's uh, birthday party. So I probably got to go in a few minutes. But yeah, yeah. Well, I yeah. Mean, oh, sorry. Go ahead. You know, we can we can definitely you know in the future pursue some of these yeah, there's um, a, conversations there's a more in the future for sure. So um, I I mean some of this is great just in a sense to be able to kind of get to know you and and see kind of how your mind works and in. in what you know what the things are that god has put on your heart well um you know it's interesting because this this topic we're on at the end and like well kind of what we've been circling around a lot there's there's certain topics where like uh i i'll hear people talk about them and i'm just like this feels more closer to i don't know if it's just what's needed or um more i guess just you'd probably say more foundational when that stuff goes around the cross of christ and is rooted around like forgiveness and love and those sort of things um, feel like the like there's a certain importance to them that um, I, I'm not sure what to how to articulate it anyway. But um, but there's still all these other ideas, like all these other branches I'd like to go off on with you too. Like even with uh, you're talking about the chakras and the seven heavens and the seven spirits, and then 
like i just want to know if that relates to the, the colors the rainbow like i'm sure it does oh, yeah. in the oh, yeah. alchemy like the metals in the colors all this stuff uh it would be fun to go out to go out and down those roads to you at some point but like i said they yeah. seem almost like sometimes they seem like rabbit trails where i'm like no we're on something important right now we don't need to take that route but yeah 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 i mean I, the, I think it so it is like it i i found in that like a kind of for me it's like a paradigm like it's just a, it's it's a useful paradigm like and you know if there's a if i'm working from the wrong one i'm sure the lord will make that known you know but like i i think in terms of or if i need to to shift but i i don't think that that's the case i think like what it like what that what i feel like he's shown me in that is a way for me personally mm-hmm. yeah to be I, grounded to be grounded in the presence of god in a way that um you know, like with the bipolar stuff is like kind of, you know, at times when I was younger, like I would get hit with the rush of the immediacy of these experiences with no way to contextualize or understand or sit with them and develop and gain understanding yeah. of what mm-hmm. it was that I was experiencing. And so like, this was kind of, I think a path that the Lord steered me on um, for my own development and growth. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah. I think it's been, been yeah. really useful. Um, but I, I think that you know, the, the broader sense of, you know, the kinds of things that are close to my heart is like, you know, I'm, you know, in many ways have kind of led a, uh, a rough and tumble life, you know what I mean? Um, but I think it's like, and I, and I connect with people who have kind of gone through that kind of experience as well. Like so much of what was presented in Christianity, it's kind of like, you know, love is the victory march. Right. And it's like, well, it, it, it is, but very ironically, um, you know, and, you know, and it's like, no, like, I, I think that like from our own limitations and and brokenness and woundedness and all those kinds of things is what is still open and present to all of us is a way to experience the love of God. And then not, not just to experience it, but to express it. You know, yeah. and I think that that at the end of the day is what is most important to me. Now, I don't, I don't yeah. always embody that or do that perfectly myself, but um, that is what I try to grow toward. Yeah, you know? and, and I think that that that's kind of the sense I get from you, Jason. Is like that's something that's very much, you know, um, animates just um, your perspective and your approach. And I appreciate that. I know you've got, I know you kind of got to get going here, so I oh. don't want to keep you much longer. Well, I don't know where they went now. They might, they might be inside. I probably got to go soon. But yeah. Yeah, I don't but, know. Yeah, that's I I definitely agree. I I would I'd love to talk to you more about it too. And I think maybe some of the ro- little rabbit trails would be helpful for for maybe people like you're talking about like cuz you said you don't know if you have a correct paradigm, but I don't think yours is wrong at all. And I don't think like and I think it might be helpful to where if we could take one of the rabbit trails and maybe map on the similarities to where people sure i think i think maybe sometimes it's helpful because then people are like oh i can see it this way better like like mm-hmm. i was talking about earlier with the wombs or the open circle or something it's like mm-hmm. it's like you're almost saying the same thing it's just in a different way and i don't know if other people um uh be able to focus on or cling or understand a, a different image because it's almost just like different images and different uh, perspectives with the same thing like some mm-hmm. people would take more to maybe the idea of alchemy with the chakras, which might even be getting at the same thing. I'm not quite sure if it is yet, but it'd be interesting to, to explore that more. I don't know. 
Yeah. yeah well, the there's only things. seven. There's only seven notes on an octave, right? But yeah. Uh, you oh yeah. Can, music. You can too, encompass. Yeah. You can encompass all kinds of sounds. Yeah, <laughs> so the, yeah. There's there's a limit limitless possibility of what you can do with some very simple things. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's where like what I found with with my own meditation practice is that it's not it's not that it's the only you know like I found this these these seven notes that yeah. are the only thing that you know any it's the only way that people have to get there is just it is a is an expression of something that I think is much bigger and much more universal it's just that my entry point into that universal has been through this kind of particular practice yeah. and um like I've found it to be very enriching and I, I get eyebrows raised from some Christian circles with, you know, the question over chakras and like, are you, you know, engaging in witchcraft and dark magic and all that kind of stuff. And it's just like, no. Well, dude. I'm probably the wrong person to talk to. I just said before I got, who was I talking to? It was probably Cal. And I was just like, oh yeah, I think he said something. And I was like, oh, about coming on my channel too much and turning into a universalist channel. And I was like, I was like, you don't have to worry about that. I was like, I'm too into pagan with pagan witchcraft stuff to like worry. About. Yeah, <laughs> like I love yeah. all that stuff. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I find the esoteric is very helpful. Yeah. And um, but it's and like occult symbols. It's like occult symbols are. Gosh, if you just stop and pause and think about them, it's like, like that's what I mean with the the star. Like Christians would be more okay with the Star of David, but when you say like a hexagon, it's like wait, a hex? Hex? Oh, that's witchcraft. Yeah. Like I don't know. And I'm like, it's just an image, and it's getting at a very profound idea here. But, yeah. yeah, yeah, and there's all different. Like I mean, the symbolic order is. It's, I think it's because we, um, if you, if you have a good sense of what the symbolic order is and the understanding of how to use it, and, um, it can make you just more effective in your, in what you're communicating and the truths you're trying to convey, right? Yeah. Because like, we don't have, there's really no way to, um, immediately convey a, an experience. We're always having to mediate that through language and symbol. Yeah. Yeah. Which and so, oh, sorry. So, yeah, so being able to make use of that symbolic order and to use that to, to, to communicate meaning, I think is really valuable. And I think it's like, I don't see any particular privilege on the um, Christian symbolic le lexicon over, you know, other, you know, other domains yeah. and disciplines, symbolic world. It's like, they're all, there's a kind of transitivity to what those symbols are trying to convey. There's some very profoundly unique ones within Christianity. Our iconography is incredibly powerful. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and it's saying so much, even though it's not in words itself, it's, it's coming to us in, in the form of living symbols. Like yeah. I definitely think there's something unique about Christian art and iconography um, and the symbolic order of the Christian world and the Christian mind. I just think that, that is actually what enables us to communicate into other symbolic orders and to translate that in a sense to speak in tongues. Right? Yeah, that was exactly what I was yeah thinking about as you were talking yeah. too. There's a because you said it's like the can't remember the words you're using now. Uh, I have to listen back. But like the language of the spirit or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of reminds me. Yeah, it's like when the language is. Um, it is a language is a useful tool to try to communicate an idea, but ultimately it's like, it's not, uh, it, it's finite in a way. And, and the let, tongues is almost trying to get back to like the, the real spirit of the thing, the real heart of the thing, the real poetic thought, whatever you want to get at. Cause it's the same way, like 
how is it that I can understand a dog? You know, it's like a dog can speak to you. Like you can, if you're actually listening and you're actually being humble, it's like, that's when I sometimes say like, I think humility is like the purest form of language or something. Cause if you're actually mm-hmm. trying, listening with humility, you can understand just about anything. Like a tree can start talking to you if you want, just go look at a oh, tree. Yeah. And yeah, and oh, so yeah. it's, I think tongues is somewhat similar to that. It's kind of like the destruction of the Tower of Babel in a way. And it's, mm-hmm. yeah, getting back at the, like you're talking about so the, the spirit. Yeah. Yeah, the universality of the spirit and the presence of the spirit, I think, is is really definitely worth exploring. But um, I do have to get going as well, Jason. So okay. what we can do is, yeah. um, you know, definitely let's try to pick up on a on some more conversation here in the future. But man, it was cool talking yeah. to you. Yeah, thanks so much for doing this too. Thanks for setting apart time. And yeah, it's, awesome. It's, I've had a blast. So yeah. All right, all right, man. Well, we'll have to. We'll have to get going here with another conversation soon, all right? All right, cool. Let's stay in touch. All right, sounds good.